Blog Talk Radio. Era notte atterzio. It was very late at night. Da tempo piatra fara. I was sitting outside on a rock. Lustani a maratà piatra cano folamini. As Stan said, I showed him the rock when he came to my home. Ascolo Stan si magandiam chamfa cuteo. And I was just thinking, what did I do? Plangem se non mavada famiglia. I was crying so my family wouldn't see me. Io data ambazu ke vini olomina spremi. And all of a sudden I saw a light coming towards me. Io ambazu olomina ancrazu ke omashu. When I saw the light, I thought it was a car. In Italia e Romania mo ormari komashna semo. Because in Romania and in Italy they always try to run me over with cars. So I thought they found me here too. Dar nu fost mașină. But it was not a car. Lumina m-a cucerit. The light surrounded me. Și din lumina m-a auzit aceeași voce. And out of the light I heard the same voice. Era același înger. It was the same angel. Dumitru, de ce ești tu dispirat? Dumitru, why are you so despaired? De ce m-ai pedepsit așa de tare? Why did you punish me so harshly? Ce am făcut eu? What did I do? Ce nu m-ai lăsat pe mine în pușcărie? Why couldn't you let me stay in prison? Familia avea unii să stea. But my family would have had a home. De ce eu n-am unii îmi plec acasă? I don't have a bed to let my head down on. De ce m-ai adus aici? Why was I brought here? Dimitri, I brought you to this country because this country will burn. So why did you bring me here to burn? Why didn't you let me die in jail in my own country? He said, Dimitri, be quiet. Get beside me. I don't know what the device was, but he pulled me beside him and he showed me all of California. Do you see what I've shown you? This is a Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sins have reached God and God has decided to punish them by fire. He came and showed me Las Vegas. This is a Sodom and Gomorrah and one day it will burn. He came and showed me New York. This is New York. This is a Sodom and Gomorrah. In one day it will burn. And then he showed me Florida. This is Florida. This is a Sodom and Gomorrah. And in one day it will burn. You've been listening to the Wake Up America message with Dimitri Dudeman. For a copy of this very important message, please go to our website at handofhelp.com. Never before in the history of our country has our nation been in more jeopardy than now. Please order a copy of the video Wake Up America at the handhelp.com website and get the warning out while we still have time. This is the Light of Truth radio broadcast with Michael Boldea. Welcome to the program, and thank you for joining us. This is the Light of Truth Radio Broadcast. I am your humble host, Michael Boldia, and it is a pleasure to have you along for this particular ride. Um, as has become customary, I am informing you that this is a recording. It is being recorded December the 30th, the year of our Lord 2020. Uh, we've got 2021 waiting in the wings, uh, saying... Just wait till I bring you, until uh, you see what I bring you. Anyway, you know, I'm an optimist. Uh, but thank you for joining us. Uh, since uh, last time we only got to, what, two of your questions, uh, we decided uh, that this week uh, we would do another question and answer session. But um, there are a few things that we need to discuss and dissect before that. Um, and it's probably going to be another one or two questions because we got a lot to delve into. Um, and I've gotten a few emails about this. So it's not as though it's coming out of left wing. It's not as though uh, I, I, I'm forcing 
a conversation about it. Uh, but uh, to the best of my recollection, I think I've gotten five emails so far. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. But first, uh, because I'm a giver, because I like to give back, uh, what is to follow is your million-dollar idea of the day. Uh, if you got a pen and pencil or a pen and paper, uh, you know, whichever, I mean, you could have a pen and a pencil and paper, but you, you need the paper and one writing instrument. Um, jot it down. Here you go. Uh, you need to have some connections in uh, the television industry uh, or at least uh, do a pilot because this is a, a television show that I think could be killer. Uh, crack addict millionaires. And the first episode could be Hunter Biden. Uh, because, you know, uh, imagine how much of a just Rhodes Scholar this man is that while uh, fully uh, ensnared in the tentacles of crack, uh, he managed to, uh, you know, wheel and deal billion-dollar deals and become an insta-millionaire. Uh, had nothing to do with daddy, had nothing to do with daddy's position as vice president, had nothing to do with the phone calls daddy made on his behalf. No, that's just you being cynical. Hunter Biden is a genius. He can juggle addiction to crack as well as billion-dollar business deals with the Chinese. By the way, uh, I understand the way the Chinese think better than most Americans because I grew up in a similar system. Uh, to the Chinese, bribes are seen as investments. Okay, They have no qualms. Uh, they have no issues with offering as much money as they need to offer to get you to do what they want you to do because to them it's an investment. It's like buying stock. And uh, when... Uh, Mr. Hunter Biden landed in China on Air Force Two with uh, Vice President Daddy in tow. The Chinese thought to themselves, now here's an investment that can pay off dividends. And surely, surely, surely it has. And um, if, if this thing goes sideways, it will pay dividends at the expense of the American taxpayer to the tune of, of hundreds of billions of dollars. So, you know, what's a few million for a crack addict to continue his passion of uh, experimenting with drugs when uh, on the back end you make billions and billions and billions of dollars? So that's the million-dollar idea of the day. Crack addict millionaires, you are welcome. Somebody, run with it. And when you make that million, just write me a note and say, thank you. I don't get thanked a lot. I mean, I, I've just given just freebies every week pretty much. Nobody ever says thank you when they make their first million because apparently it's really easy. I mean, you know, 361 days a year you could smoke crack and the other three you fly to China, sign a billion-dollar deal, take your cut, and then – you know, you get another 10 years of smoking crack. And I know that there are some people, well, it's never been documented that he smoked crack. He's just being mean-spirited. Uh, actually, there are pictures of Hunter Biden asleep with a crack pipe in his mouth. 
And a lot of people are wondering, how come his teeth are so straight? If, uh, you know, he really was that deep into the crack. Uh, there are pictures of Hunter Biden before the caps and before the crowns. Uh, before that million-dollar smile uh, could be seen on television screens as he held somebody else's baby uh, and uh, jubilated. Yes, I just invented the word jubilated at the idea that for four years he'd get to sign billion-dollar contracts with every enemy, foreign and domestic, and get himself a cut. Because you know what? Crack may be cheap. But it's not that cheap. So uh, this was an aside. Uh, we need levity in today's uh, environment. Uh, but there is a serious issue uh, that I want to discuss, and it's, uh, unfortunately it's going to take up uh, a good chunk of the program because uh, there, there's a broader conversation to be had. Um, I, like I said, I've gotten maybe four or five emails, at least five, uh, about the whole thing with um, Ravi Zacharias. Now, if you don't know who Ravi Zacharias is, um, look, I, I don't fanboy. I'm, I'm not the fanboy type. I don't ask people for, for, for autographs. Uh, but I do respect people's intellectual capacity. And uh, while he was alive, intellectually speaking, the man was a juggernaut. You can't deny this. I mean, I've, I've listened to, to countless of his talks, uh, and he was brilliant. He, he presented the gospel very well. Uh, and over the years, I have listened to a lot of his sermons. So I'm, I'm not... Look, the, the conversation we need to have is not coming from somebody that is jubilant or rejoices over the idea of what's been happening. I, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's disappointing. It's, um, it's upsetting. And uh, I need to preface the, the, the rest of the few minutes or however long we're going to get into this uh, by saying that I've never been a fan of posthumous accusations. Uh, because... Um, when somebody's dead, they can't defend themselves. Now, that having been said, having made it very clear that I'm not a fan of posthumous accusations, uh, this thing seems to have legs. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's upsetting because there are certain people you expect it of, there's certain people where you could see the graft coming from a mile away. There's people that are so disingenuous when they talk about Jesus that, that, that you know. You know. You just know. You're like, oh, how come nobody else sees it? Um, I've, I've listened to his talks over the years, and, and he wasn't one of those. He wasn't overtly um, lascivious. Let's call it that. He wasn't overtly lecherous. Um, but there's a bigger lesson to be learned from what's been uncovered regarding Rabbi Zacharias of late. And, and if you don't know the name, I don't know how you can't, because he was, he was a big name in Christendom, and he was uh, an apologist, uh, very good at it. 
uh, defended the gospel and defended the need for, for God. But this, this whole mess ought to serve as a cautionary tale for anyone in ministry. Because this whole, this whole thing, the, look, it's undeniably prevalent. This, this, this man putting on a mask in front of crowds and being somebody totally different uh, in, in his private time, especially among big names, especially among people who uh, feed off of the praise of others. It's prevalent, and it is bringing shame to the gospel. And... Um, Huh. This isn't really about Rabbi Zacharias. Let's just start there. Uh, he is now untethered from his mortal coil, and he will answer for himself, and he will answer for his actions, his sins, his misdeeds before the one who knows all and who sees all. But this is about a broader conversation regarding uh, spiritual leaders or men who gain notoriety in Christendom only to be brought low by their sins. And it's also a conversation that needs to be had about how to avoid this, this often successful snare. And although I, I promised we'd get to your questions, and we will, uh, I'm going to make this as quick as possible. I've got a lot of things floating in my head, and I think they need to come out. Uh, this, this, this needs to be dealt with, and, and, and we need to set some parameters, I guess, because it's not going to be the last name. It's not going to be the last powerhouse spiritual authority that – Things will come out about. And, and that's sad and it's scary, and especially for the innocent, especially for the sheep, especially for those who, who, who look to this man as, as a juggernaut, it was a blow. It still is. So I, I, I've been thinking about this. How do you avoid the snare of the enemy because this this is what it was i you know what if i was a betting man i guarantee you the first time at least it started out as ego stroking and mutated into something completely different and after the first time when uh he saw that god had not struck him when he saw that he was still standing and breathing. As men often do, he began to rationalize his importance. And look, if God heals you after the first time you do something that you're not supposed to, it's, it's, it's out of love. Because if he doesn't deal with the individual after the first time, believe me when I tell you, 
I've counseled people who've done this. They begin to rationalize their importance with God, thinking that God will overlook their sin because they're so needed. And so the second time becomes easier, and the third time becomes easier, and, 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 it, and it snowballs. And it's not as though the devil didn't know the first time it happened. But see, the devil waits for the most opportune moment. He waits for when the impact would be greatest. He waits for when the most damage will be done to the household of faith. And if you are in ministry and if you are a minister... This, above all else, should be at the forefront of your mind, that you don't want to bring shame to the name, to the household, to the body of Christ. So, again, I, it, it hit me, because I respected his intellect, and I still respect his intellect. But there's damage that's been done that can't be undone now. So the first thing you need to do in order to, to, to be successful at avoiding the devil's snare is to know your vulnerabilities. Know your vulnerabilities. And I was, I was going to say weaknesses, but vulnerabilities is a much more apropos word. Because there's no such thing as a perfect fighter. Whether it's the footwork, it's the uppercut, the jab, the guard, every fighter who has ever lived has had a vulnerability. Now, the great fighters know what their vulnerabilities are, and they work on them ceaselessly. They know that this is the one area that their opponent can exploit. This is their one weakness. And they want to make it as difficult as possible for the enemy to exploit their vulnerability. And so they're constantly on guard. But know yourself. Be honest with yourself. Guard against your vulnerability with the ferocity of a rabid beast. Knowing that if the enemy gets one through, it'll be the end of you. If you know what your vulnerability is, you will never yourself in a position where the enemy can exploit it. I, that's the best way I can put it. If you know what your vulnerability is, you will never put yourself in a position where the enemy can exploit your vulnerability. If you're a diabetic with a sweet tooth, you don't open a candy store. That's, that's, that's the nicest way I can put it. If you're a diabetic with a sweet tooth, hey, you don't open a candy store. If you know yourself to have a wandering guy, you don't open massage parlors, which you also frequent. I'm just saying, because I'm trying to balance this out. But there was an internal investigation done by his ministry, and they uncovered some really gnarly stuff. 
And again, broader conversation, not about the man. But if you're in ministry, if you have to live like a Coptic monk in order to keep yourself pure, then you live like a Coptic monk, period. The alternative is what we're seeing played out with this whole Ravi Zacharias mess. And for the last couple of programs we've been talking about spouses or wives or I guess a, 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 a woman's place in her husband's orbit, especially in ministry. Your spouse, your wife, your husband, the opposite of the individual who's in ministry. So if, if a woman's in ministry, then her husband. If a man's in ministry, then, then his wife. But they shouldn't be your cheerleader. And I know that sounds counterintuitive. Oh, what do you mean? Your spouse, your wife, your husband should not be your cheerleader. They should be your reality check. Likewise, the people you surround yourself with in ministry shouldn't be your enablers or yes-men. They should be those holding you accountable. Because, look, there, there are men today running megachurches. And it's a known secret, it's an open secret that they're having affairs left and right with people in the church, with congregants. But because they surrounded themselves with yes-men, they surrounded themselves with enablers, and the money's too good and the money's too easy, nobody say nothing. They're, they're hell-bound on a sled oiled down with butter. And because nobody calls them to repentance because nobody says, hey, what of your eternal soul? They continue in their sin, rationalizing it that they're doing more good than harm. And this is like one of the most difficult things that I have to talk about because of the respect I had for the man's intellect. Uh, how do I put this? I attribute every success I've ever had to God and to my wife. And every failure solely to myself. That's, that's a good way. And, and as far as foundation is concerned, that, that was pretty much my grandpa's doing because my dad was busy trying to keep a roof over our heads and you know, keep his three boys fed. But staying humble has to be the number one thing that as a minister, as a preacher, as anyone that's called to work for the kingdom, it's, it's the number one thing that you have to stay grounded and rooted in. Look, it, it's easy for me to stay grounded when you get off the road after a week of ministry and you saw people's lives changed and 
you saw God stirring hearts. And before you have a chance to put down your bags, your wife informs you that you need to take out the trash and clean the bathroom because it's your turn and go grocery shopping because the kids are out of milk. I appreciate my wife for keeping me grounded in reality. It's a good thing. This morning I spent two hours at least because we were supposed to record this an hour earlier than we are shoveling my driveway. Now, I can get a snowblower, but I choose to shovel my driveway because I subscribe to the idea of forcing yourself to labor and then incorporating stoicism into your mindset. If you don't know what stoicism is, uh, I, look, I, I read a lot. That's, that's what I do. I know history. I read a lot. Uh, Marcus Aurelius, one of the most brilliant tacticians ever to live, was a stoic. Uh, Seneca is another big name in stoicism. Uh, Cato but, but, but the idea of Stoicism is, is actually very simple. Uh, stoicism is, how do I put it? It's the endurance of pain or hardship without the display of how hard it is for you to do what you're doing. It's, 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 it's basically not murmuring and not complaining, even though you're carrying a heavy load. And it's one of the things that, that keeps me grounded and it keeps me humble. And also, my wife, she keeps me grounded in reality. This is why I never understood preachers or ministers who, who left their wives and the mothers of their children and, and, and married, for lack of a better word, a fan. First, it's, it's unbiblical and you're in adultery. Let's just get that out there. Because I know, I know, there's a lot of people making excuses. I'm on my third wife. I'm still a preacher. But, you know, I feel the Lord put us together. Really. Stop. Read the Bible once in a while. Do what it says. And perhaps there won't be so many preachers being outed for being just absolute scum. Not only is, is, is that whole, uh, well, you know, once I made it big, my first wife was looking a little old and frumpy. Never mind that she gave me beautiful children and she's, she's you know, uh, a, a wonderful cook and she cleans and she does every wifely duty that a wife ought to do. Yet, a 20-some-year-old came up after a service and said she was really touched. And I felt the Lord telling me she's supposed to be my new wife. Blood of Jesus. You're a horny old man. That's all it is. There's no spirituality in what you're doing. And it happens frequently. And it happens with big names and small names because, again, maybe they don't fear hell. Maybe they don't believe 
hell. Maybe they read the Bible as a storybook rather than what God says exists. Pardon me while I sip my beverage, even though it got cold, because, you know, it happens. Every time this happens, you, you, you can pinpoint. And, and, and look at the lives of men who, who, who left their first spouses and their children and, 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 and in their minds married up. It always leads to ruination. Because someone who worships the ground you walk on, someone who believes that you're the mouthpiece of God himself, will not challenge you when you need to be challenged. Look, your wife can't idolize you, and you can't idolize your wife. You are two human beings who became one, who are making your way through this world and meeting its challenges together and, and, and celebrating your victories together because that's what it means to be one. I, I, I don't know how I'd react if all of a sudden my wife started worshiping the ground I walk. Oh, I, I've been in homes. Look, I, you think I'm making this stuff up, but I'm not. I've been in ministry since 12. I'm 45 years old. I've seen a lot of stuff. I've been in homes where the husband insists that his wife call him prophet. Not honey, not hubby, not Mike, prophet. That is a sketchy relationship. When in your own house, your wife has to call you prophet, and it seems as though she didn't mind at all. And stop with the honor. Stop. You're a human being. God used a donkey. So anytime you try to elevate yourself above anyone else, drudging through this life, trying to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, anytime you think yourself superior, that's the devil whispering in your ear. If God could use a donkey, he could use anyone and anything to further his kingdom. Oh, we, we, have, we, we have pedestals. We have to put somebody on them. No, you don't. Because you're not doing that person any good. And another thing, especially while in ministry, and it's something that I learned from my grandpa, is to never take credit for something that was God-inspired. It's important. This is important. I, look, I don't, I don't know who's getting called to ministry. I don't know who's in ministry listening to this. I, we're, we're not going to get to your questions. We're going to do it next week apparently because we're already half an hour in and there's still stuff floating in my head. So whoever this is for, layman or minister, open your ears and listen. Never take personal credit for something that was God-inspired. If a message connected and people were affected, it wasn't me. It was him through me. And once you stop making that distinction, you, you start to believe your own press. 
You get high on your own supply, as the kids like to say. Look, to take personal credit for something that God did would be to rob God of the glory rightly due him. Change my mind. Tell me I'm wrong. Intellectually speaking, if you take personal credit for something that God did, it's like robbing him of the glory rightly due him. But there are so many today who believe their own hype and think themselves the authors of the stirring others felt during their talks or sermons. Because it's euphoric. It it, it is. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, well, you know, I'm just... When you stand up there and you preach a 40-minute sermon, 30-minute sermon, and at the end of it, people come up to the altar broken, weeping, repenting. There's, there's this sense of euphoria. There's this sense of accomplishment, and that needs to be muted instantly by, that wasn't me. Because after I preach a sermon, five minutes after I'm done, if you ask me what I talked about, I have no clue. That's the way I process. That's the way I work. I get up there, and if a message comes, it's not my doing. And if people are affected, and if they begin to repent, it's not my doing. I'm just the donkey tasked with being behind the pulpit that morning. Everything else is God's doing. Stay humble. Credit God. And doing that one thing alone, believe me, because I, I, I speak from experience. I speak from watching what has become of Christendom over the last 30 years. Doing that one thing, staying humble and crediting God, will shore up a lot of vulnerability. You need to understand that the enemy knows your weaknesses. Some men insecure and they love to have their ego stroked. Others like the limelight. Others like being worshipped. Others like being validated. Others like money. And the enemy knows every single one of the pressure points that he can push. And to the enemy, the bigger the name, the bigger the scalp. So the bigger you get in ministry, the attacks of the enemy will only increase and not decrease. And, and I, I feel a sense of sadness for some of these people. Well, you know, brother, I'm so spiritual. And I've been so spiritual for so long that I have attained. I have reached the mountaintop, and now there is nothing that can get to me. I, I, I wouldn't be so boisterous. Because there's always something if you stop watching. There's always something if you stop praying. There's always something 
if you get distracted. Always, 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 always be on guard. I know, rough way to go through life. But them, the rules. That's what you signed up for. Always be on guard. There are no safe spaces, period, end of story. And I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, come on, Brother Mike. You're overreacting. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm being as honest and forthright with you as a human being can be. There are no safe spaces. No, church is not a safe space. Prophetic conferences are not a safe space. Okay, I misspoke. There's one safe space. You alone in your prayer closet, that's it. That's your only safe space. Everywhere else, you have to be on guard because the enemy is always looking for an opportunity. But what do you mean, Brother Mike? Our church is not a safe space. Uh, well, I, I, I wasn't going to get into this, but we're, we're already, I mean, it's, it, it, that's it. There's, there's the hour. It's almost gone. So my apologies. We'll do this question and answer thing hopefully next week, uh, or I, I'll cram one in at least. Uh, by the end of the program, but uh, I guess it's story time with Uncle Mike. Um, and, and this is just an illustration that really happened to me. But it goes to show you that there, there is no such thing as a safe space. I just gotten done speaking at a Sunday morning service. I even forget where it was. I think it was Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. And after the service, a young lady comes up and begins to compliment me and telling me how my message had really touched her. And I, look, I've never been good at taking compliments anyway. Uh, those of you that have met me in person, especially after I've given a talk, know this. But I, I, I don't. It's not me. I can't take credit for something I didn't do. So I mumbled a thank you. And, and, you know, because I'm a gregarious enough cat, she asked some questions about dreams and visions, and I answered them. And then she said something that made my spidey senses go off. She said, would you like to go somewhere more private and talk about prophecy a bit more? And I guarantee you, every single preacher, evangelist, teacher, apologist that has fallen into the snare has had that moment where they knew that they knew that they knew this was a trap. They knew that they knew that they knew that if they indulged this, if they entertained this, it would lead to nowhere good. So, I, again, I'm not, 
I don't see the devil behind every bush. I'm not like one of those people that gets themselves into situations and blames the devil for it. But man, if you have discernment, you know when it's the enemy trying to do what he does. Because it, it seemed like an innocuous enough question. Would you like to go somewhere more private and talk about prophecy a bit? Well, well to me, that danger, Will Robinson, danger. Every single one of my senses just, boom, went off like an explosion. So I, I raised my eyebrows. I said, no, thank you. If you have any more questions, I'd be happy to answer them here. But more private doesn't work for me. And at the same time, those of you that have met me in person know I fiddle with my wedding ring a lot right next to my face. Just in case something got lost in translation. But when I said no, man, like a switch, her entire demeanor changed. And she looks at me and she goes, well, you should have just said you weren't interested if you weren't interested. And that's when I got angry. Because, well, I, I don't suffer fools well. And so I said in the loudest voice I could muster, I thought the fact that I was wearing a wedding ring and had just finished preaching a sermon in a church would have clued you into the fact that I was not interested. Now be gone, wretched woman. Of course, heads turned, and she blushed and walked away. But, look, there's, there's a time to be nice, and there's a time not to be nice. When it comes to the snare of the enemy, that's not a time to be nice. Because even when my grandpa was alive, some people called him abrasive. Oh, he's just, he's abrasive. No, he was direct. And he knew when the enemy was at work and when the enemy wasn't at work. And when the enemy's at work, you don't coddle a viper to your chest and hope it doesn't bite you. So this happened in the church. It happened to me. And I'm not one of those guys with the skinny jeans and the horn-rimmed glasses and the six-pack. I am what Montgomery Ward would call a husky boy. I have no hair on my head. Part of it is because I was balding. Part of it is because I chose to shave. Now, you know, if you saw me, you wouldn't throw up, but I'm never going to be on the cover of a magazine. My wife loves me. I love my wife. That's enough for me. So what's the point? Well, the point is this. The enemy will try every single way to get you to compromise yourself. Because once you are compromised, He's got you. And it may not be today or tomorrow or a year from now, but at some point, 
when the enemy has the goods, your sin will find you out, sometimes even posthumously. And it's a sad day. It is. It is a sad day. Don't don't entertain sin and don't treat sin lightly. Seek out difficulty in your life, whether manual labor or, or something, 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 where your, your, your feet come back down to earth and you realize, hey, I'm a guy in sneakers in 20-degree weather with wet feet shoveling a driveway. There's snot running down my lip. Understand who you are. And look, if, if, if you need the validation, have a comfortable enough relationship with your spouse and, and tell them, hey, you know, I'd like a pat on the head and a good job once in a while. Because that's one of the areas, I, I kid you not, that that. Uh, why are we getting into this? I, I know. Happy New Year! Anyway, that's one of the areas where men are, are, are most vulnerable, where they don't feel as though they're validated or appreciated in the home, and then the first turnip off the turnip truck that says, wow, that was so impressive. I've never heard a sermon so powerful before. That's it. Oh, the Lord has shown me my new wife. No. The enemy set out a snare. And you didn't just jump into it. You nosedived into it. So, again, I don't know who this was for, but... It, 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 it needed, we needed to have this conversation because the enemy doesn't sleep. The enemy doesn't take a break because of coronavirus. He's not affected by coronavirus. It's not as though, well, I'm not going to tempt people anymore because they're all wearing masks. The devil will always do what he's always done. And the children of God need to be aware, and the children of God need to be awake, and the children of God need to be watchful, and the children of God need to be humble. And the children of God need to acknowledge the fact that if there is anything of worth in them. It came from God. Whether your, 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 your intellect or your ability to deliver a sermon or your ability to write a book, whatever it is, it's not yours. It's a gift. It's a blessing. It's something that God entrusted you with to see what you would do with it. 
So, again, I, I'm, I'm sorry we, we went a whole 50 minutes into this without taking any questions, but hey, uh, Lord willing, there will be another day. Uh, Gino, if you're there and you want to shoot out one question, we got about 10 minutes. So uh, we can do a All lot right, of damage Mike. in 10 minutes, kids. <laughs> I think it's a great program. I just want to say that reading what's happened to Pastor Lentz and Robbie and all, I think it's right on the money, and I think it's a warning yeah, to everyone but, in ministry. But again, and, hold on. Uh, just, so question. Let, let, Gino? Hello? All yeah. right. Let me say this. Yeah. Carl Lentz, not a surprise. You know? Okay. I, you, you, you saw you, you you saw the potentiality of something like this happen with a, with a guy like Carl Lentz, who yeah. you know w- was inviting uh, you know certain eyes to be upon him and other things. Ravi Zacharias honestly took me for a loop. It took me for a surprise. Uh, and, and again, Carl Lentz, perfect example. He was out walking his dog because I, I read the story. Of course, apparently. Well, see, it was adultery, but it was adultery with a Muslim. So I, you know, I, I thought it was worse, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, so he saw a girl. His wife was at home with the kitty. He saw a girl in the dog park. And he thought to himself, perhaps I shall attempt to convert her. And he started a conversation. You know, she rolled her eyes, she flicked her hair, whatever girls do to show interest. And that's when Carl should have realized this is not about converting someone. There is a palpable desire of the flesh, if you will. And Carl should have taken his dog and his skinny jeans and his horn-rimmed glasses, and he should have gone home to his wife. And kissed her on the cheek and said, thank you for making lunch. Then gone upstairs to his prayer closet, thanked God for his wife and kids and family, and asked for strength so that the next time he wouldn't even attempt to convert a fit and trim younger woman. Because I've heard this. I, I, I know some of you have heard this where guys go to strip joints to convert strippers? Yeah. Come on. Seriously. Come on. Are we going to have a conversation about that? No, because it's insane. But rather than walking away, going home to his wife, Carl allowed his desire to dictate his actions, and it started off so innocently. Can I get your number? Maybe I'll break down in Manhattan one day Or I'll run out of doggy poop bags And I'll call you to bring me some I don't know why he asked for her number But he shouldn't have I know that's so antisocial Yep, it is But hey, if Carl would have walked away Guess what? No shame would have been brought to the household of faith, huh? Live like a Coptic monk if you have to Yes, to the point of being abrasive, to the point of being rude. Because maintaining 
the holiness with which you are enshrined, enshrouded, is more important than people thinking you're a nice guy. But no, Carl asked for the number, then he called the girls, and she said, hey, come over, we can talk about your God, and I'll tell you about mine, and guess what? Carl was on the front page of newspapers about how he'd done naughty things. There you go. Carl's life down the drain. Good night. Anyway, go ahead, Gene. Sorry, I had to interject. All right. Uh, here's kind of a sticky one, I guess, with some people. But many people prophetically said Trump would win the election, you know, like thus saith the Lord. And a uh, question people have been asking on the Internet and questioning is, does that make these people false prophets or do they get a, uh, a pass that supposedly Trump should have won the election, et cetera? Uh, and people are sincerely asking because these are people that said, thus saith the Lord. Now, so that's the question. All right. Well, I, I talked about this a couple programs back. I mean, I, I'm sure it's in the archive. This is why I always delineate between what my opinion is, what I think is going to happen, and what is thus says the Lord. Now, when God speaks, there is no confusion in the things God says. So to, to sort of backtrack and go, well, he should have won it, but he didn't because they stole it, mm, that's, 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 that's a bit of a stretch for me. Now, again, it's not over until January 20th. A lot can happen. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to false profit anyone at this point. But when you utter the words, thus says the Lord, there has to be clarity there. There has to be truth there. And what you said following thus says the Lord has to come to pass. That is the very definition of it, is it not? So I look. I, if 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 we want to give people an out, I be my guest. Give them an out. All right. Well, he should have won, but he didn't. But I, there, I, mm, 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 you know, I, I I will reserve judgment until after January twentieth. But this is why it's so important to make sure that when you say something of your own volition, when you say something that comes from you when you say something that you wish would happen. You preface it thusly. You say, hey, this is what I think will happen. This is what I think should happen. But when you go into thus says the Lord territory, uh, you're going to be accountable for the word you spoke. Now, you could always be Pat Robertson and just, you know, pretend you didn't say it. Maybe he forgot Maybe he has dementia like Joe Biden, and that's why, you know, they're, they're two peas in a pod. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, that's as far as I'm willing to go with that. I don't – I'm not one of those people that has a baseball bat at the ready waiting for somebody to give a false word because every man who speaks in the name of God, every man who speaks on behalf of God, Every man who claims to serve God will one day stand before him. Now, would I support someone who said, thus says the Lord, and their word fell flat? 
would I give credence or heed or follow their uh, theological uh, ruminations? No. Because the one thing you have when it comes to ministry is your track record. And if I lied to you once, I may lie to you again. And maybe next time it will be so well crafted that you will not know it was a lie. And that's how false doctrines arise, and that's how false Christs arise, and that's how people get themselves in trouble. Churches shouldn't have pedestals. Stop putting people on them. And that's, I think, a message for the ministers and the laymen alike. Because it's the laymen that feed into the neuroses. It's the laymen that feed into the pride. And then you see the shipwreck that these men become. Because they stop acknowledging it's God and believe it's them. So... Uh, that's the end of, of what I had to say today. We will get to your questions. This is going to be an ongoing thing now. Between 1 Samuel 17 and your questions and answers, uh, we're booked through 2028. But uh, I heard recently that the rapture was supposed to be 2025, so uh, we, we, we better get cracking. Anyway, Gino, if you've got anything to say, the floor is yours. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to try to get to some other questions next week. Uh, we have several uh, questions about the civil revolution coming and uh, questions about uh, just current events. And uh, thank you for posting them on the YouTube channel. Uh, we also thank everyone out there that's checking out uh, the broadcast on YouTube. And uh, we just wanted to t- also tell you we appreciate your prayers. Uh, Thank you for tuning in today to the Light of Truth broadcast. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast, The Light of Truth with Michael Baldea. If you would like to order a copy of today's broadcast, please visit our website at handofhelp.com. If you have questions about our ministry, you can email us at handofhelpoffice at aol.com. Or simply call us at 920-206-9910. God bless you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.